Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the website is by Kelly Beckman Schubert. Ooh, I noticed a little change there. Did I not? I don't know exactly how to say it, but I know I am. it's only on the brain because legally Kelly is going through the process of changing her name on her documents because some of them expired. So now's the best time to do it. And she is making it Kelly Beckman Schubert. I don't know if she's going to like fully go by that, but at least her middle name has now become her her maiden name, which is a (laughs) weird sounding term. But for legal purposes, according to her social security card, my wife is now Kelly Beckman Schubert. All right, noted. And uh, <laughs> you know, I just I wanted it to be known that I that I picked up on it. So uh, shout out to KBS and all the KBS fans out there. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the being Sue Bird, to having a cute little girl try to give her a flower during the game. It's Adam Amwala. Adam, how's it going? You know, you hear a lot of talk these days about people getting their flowers, and sometimes it's literal. Mm-hmm. It was very cute in one of Sue Bird's final games. A tiny girl sitting courtside tried to give her a flower, and it's funny because she kind of rubs it against Sue's shoulder, and then <laughs> Sue looks a little startled because she doesn't know what just touched her. And then you can see her face process a little bit of, what the hell? Oh, it's a girl okay, let me be nice. And she basically kind of grabs it and then says, can you hold on to this? I'm busy playing a basketball game. And then uh, immediately inbounds a pass right afterwards, which is very funny. And also, I could have done this. That's how close I was to Sue a couple of times during the game I sat courtside. I think it would have been a little different if 30-year-old man did it versus seven-year-old girl. It still would have been sweet, but definitely weirder. Agreed. And that's why I didn't do it. But we are here to discuss basketball on this basketball podcast. Before we talk about things basketball and things not basketball, let's prepare ourselves in the Teal Memorial locker room. Teal's doing great. That's great to hear. You know, do we do we check in with Teal enough? Are we wrong to assume that Teal is doing great? Should we make sure every two weeks? You know, maybe we throw some more tweets to Teal. Teal, if you're listening, let us know as long as everything's okay. We don't want to incorrectly speak on your behalf. Please confirm that you're great. <laughs> Please confirm that you're great. And we're not just saying you're great if you're not great. Because we don't want to lie on this podcast. But you know who makes us feel great? That I know for sure. Our patrons. It is our patrons and especially our new patrons. Shout out to Hallie Brooks, our newest patron, and shout out to Lobster Bisquay for upgrading to the producer level status. You love to see it. You truly do. And shout out to the rest of our producer level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Ravon Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball's Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borgeli, We questions mitch chrysler del curry's son for three Bang! seth what are you doing here <laughs> nicole arsenal and now lobster bisquay love it love it indeed you know what else i love i mean i love getting money to talk about basketball and the way that we do that is 
by having sponsors. That is correct. And the sponsor for this episode is Shaker and Spoon. If you are having a summer cocktail party and you want to be fancier, you can make people think you're very fancy, but you don't have to do that much work by signing up for Shaker and Spoon. It is a delivery service that sends you a box with all of the ingredients and the instructions to make four servings of three different drinks that all use the same liquor. All you need to do is provide the booze. They provide everything else and you can make three very different drinks. I've done a box with tequila. The drinks are very different. One was sweet. One was sour. One was spicy and it made for a fun night. And now forever, I know how to make those drinks, which is very cool. And if you go to shakerandspoon.com horse, you'll get $20 off your first box and the boxes run between 40 and 50 bucks. So you're getting about 50% off, which is a pretty sweet deal by my quick math. So again, go to shakerandspoon.com slash horse and get a box and be very fancy in front of your friends, your family, your loved one, yourself today. I got to tell you, that sounds like a pretty good plan. It's a good pitch. Look, I'm doing my best. Speaking of good pitches, I'm going to pitch you about another Multitude show that you could listen to. Shout out to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. There's a whole bunch of Multitude podcasts. One of the ones that I work on. So if you like at least half of this show, you might enjoy it too. It's called The Newest Olympian. It is a podcast where I, Mike Schubert, go through the Percy Jackson books for the very first time. I've never read them before. Now I'm reading them. I'm currently a third of the way through the third book. And it's a very, very fun time. I always sit down with a different guest who is a big Percy Jackson fan. So whether you have read the books a whole bunch and you want a trip down memory lane, or if you've always considered, ah, I've been hearing good things about these books. I've been needing an excuse to read them. Why don't you read along with the show as a digital book club? It is fun. It is lighthearted. It is all ages appropriate. And it's available wherever you get your podcast by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to thenewestolympian.com. So head on over. The Newest Olympian. It's very good. I'm very biased but I think it's very good. And before we get to Full Court Press, Adam, do you have a question for the week, an NBQ&A? Reminder to everyone, you can send us questions and we'll answer them. Send them email, social media. If you do it on Patreon, we a thousand percent will answer it. What do we got? All right. So we have a DM from a 76ers fan named Lou who is not pleased with me, but uh, let me let me elaborate. Here we go. I am obsessed with the Sixers and would like for you to talk about the fan base. I know a lot of people don't like us, but you can also mention how Raptors announcers and fans were laughing when uh, Pascal fractured Embiid's face, just like when a Raptor injured KD. We are harsh, but when someone is loyal, we love them. Also, for Q&A, answer me this. Why does Adam hate us so much? <laughs> and do you all think Embiid deserved the MVP? I do. Uh, let me start by saying I do think Embiid deserved the MVP. Really? I, think, um, I, I know that the, the bar shouldn't be giving it to someone just because someone else already got it. Like, I, I think Jokic was completely deserving. Um, but I, I think Embiid, when you think of who is most important to their team, I feel like if you take Embiid off of the Sixers, they get so much worse that if we're simply using the metric of who really is the most important person on their team, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, that Embiid is more valuable to the Sixers than Jokic is to the Nuggets. Tell me why I'm wrong. I would say that in a regular season, that would be the case for the Sixers and the Nuggets. But this most recent season with the Nuggets, Jamal Murray was out for the whole year and Michael Porter Jr. played the first five games of the year and then was hurt for the rest of the season. So the number two and number three best players on the Nuggets were completely gone. And I think you take Jokic off that Nuggets team because they were only, what, the five or six seed? If you take Jokic off of that current team from last year, they don't make the play-in tournament, whereas the Sixers still have 
Tyrese Maxey. They still have Tobias Harris. They still had Seth Curry before the trade. You know, they still had a decent team that I think could have fought for a playing spot. So if both teams are fairly healthy, I agree with you. But I think for the particular season that the Nuggets had last year where they had so many injuries, Jokic was essential to that team. That's a fair point. Um, But I think you and I would both agree that we like Embiid. Love him. Love him a lot. I think he's a great, great player and he deserves better than all of the Ben Simmons drama that he's had to put up with. Um, So to answer your question, Lou, specifically, uh, I want to be clear that I do not hate all Sixers fans. Uh, I also Mm -hmm. want to acknowledge, as we've talked about on the show before, that all fan bases have bad fans. That's just kind of the fact of the matter. Um, My distaste of Philadelphia sports fans is largely born out of my personal experience when I went to college in South-ish New Jersey with a lot of Philly sports fans and went to a lot of games in Philadelphia and often had very negative experiences just for wearing stuff supporting my team. Like, I am not the sort of fan who goes to away games and is obnoxious to people. I don't get into it with people. At the most, I'm literally just wearing a jersey or a shirt and cheering for my team. When I was 13 years old, two adult men tried to, like, assault me for wearing a Sammy Sosa jersey at a Phillies game. So my, my dislike for Phillies fans is a dislike for the worst segment of Philadelphia sports fans. I have no doubt that there are many wonderful sports fans in Philadelphia, and Lou, I am sure you are one of them. But to be clear, my dislike is <laughs> it's predicated on my <laughs> feelings of danger when I'm in a Philadelphia sporting venue. Just to validate you, when I went to, I think, my first ever baseball game was an away Yankees game when they played the Phillies, and I was five years old, and the Yankees got absolutely blown out. Like, I think the score was like nine to two or Mm -hmm. something in the seventh or eighth inning. So my dad and I decided to leave because we had to drive back to New Jersey. It was a blowout game. We left, and as we're walking up the stairs to leave the arena, a grown woman jumps in front of me in the stairs, double flips me off, and says, fuck you, fuck the Yankees. And I was five and we Mm. were losing by a lot. And from that moment on, I decided I hated the Phillies. And anytime I played my baseball video game on my PlayStation one, shout out to VR baseball 98, I would always play against the Phillies so that I could beat them as many times as possible. So I would agree that some of the worst fans in Philly are especially bad. I don't think that means every fan is bad. I personally appreciate the tough love Philly fans, especially for the Sixers, because that's what the Yankees do. And I am very much of the, if you're not good, I'm going to boo you. And if you're good, I will cheer you. It's just like very extreme measures. I'm very rarely lukewarm about a player. Either I love you or I think you're garbage. And I think that's fine with Philly. I think it's fun to have a team where like, oh, it's tough to play here. I don't hold any ill will towards Sixers fans for being angry at Ben Simmons. You should be angry. It was a horrible situation and he was weird about it and all of that. So I think it's fine, but I would agree with you that sometimes you can get some really bad Philly sports fans. And I knew some growing up in New Jersey as well. So I think it's more of just like, if you look at the spectrum of fandom, I think it stretches in both directions where some of the more passionate fans are some of the most diehard fans you'll ever see. But I think that also goes in the negative direction where some of the bad fans are some of the worst, meanest people you'll ever interact with. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this clip earlier in the year, but uh, naturally we have to shoehorn in our baseball reference. And mm-hmm. the Phillies have a third baseman named Alec Bohm, who has been really bad defensively this year. And there was a clip floating around earlier this year where he made like, I don't know, two or three errors in a game or maybe even in an inning. 
and they showed his face as he was walking off the field in Philly as they were booing him. And you can just read his lips going, I fucking hate this place. <laughs> I remember seeing that, but not knowing the context. That's very funny. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to post a, a link to it. It was, it was pretty amusing. So yeah, not all fans are bad. There's just some egregious Philly fans out there. Yes. And I think you and I would both acknowledge that we have bad fans within our team's fan bases 100%. Yes, 100%. I don't enjoy the behavior of some Yankees fans. But yeah, when you get into like gross stuff, like like you were saying, people yelling at you for no good reason, that's just silly. Now, if you're provoked, sure. But just wearing a jersey of the other team is not enough to provoke ire. Like right. let let people from other fandoms watch the sport. It's okay. <laughs> so with that complete, let's get into full court press. Get it like the news. Indeed. First off, let's start with a little happy story that I guess starts a little more sad, but has a happy ending. Eric Spolstra, coach of the Miami Heat, one of his kids, unfortunately, was diagnosed with Burkitt lymphoma, but he went through surgery, he went through chemotherapy, and he's come out on the other side and has defeated cancer. So shout out to this very young kid. I don't know how old he is, but we'll put a link to the celebratory Instagram picture that his wife posted. He's very young, but he kicked cancer's butt. And I think that that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, thank thank God for that. I, I truly cannot imagine anything more horrifying as a parent than to be dealing with your child being sick in that way. And, and also, I, I don't know exactly how how old he is, but like, it has to be so scary when you're a child going through that. So thank goodness that uh, that he, he seems to be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it seems as if their terror is a little bit over, but shout out to the whole Spolster family and for Eric Spolster's kid for fighting through. It's really impressive. Shout out to him. Now in a little bit less happier news, we have an update on the Brittany Grinder situation. She was sentenced to nine years in Russian prison for having a tiny amount of hashish oil on her while she was flying. Nine years seems absolutely excessive. President Joe Biden has already released some sort of statement where he is calling on the Russian government to not have her serve this whole sentence. I don't know politically if that means anything or if that's just like an angry social media post. Like, I have no idea if that holds any sort of weight. But nine years for this is ridiculous. And I truly hope that we can work something out where we bring her home safely. Because I feel like what she's already been through is not justified for the quote unquote crime. But nine years is absurd. Yeah, it's it's awful. And I don't know how this impacts the proposed trade, which I'm not I'm not making light of it. It just sounds ridiculous to frame it that way. But it literally was a trade offer that the United States put out there of, hey, we will return this Russian person we have detained in exchange for Brittany Griner and I believe another American who was detained. So um, it, it does not seem like that was accepted. Uh, I don't really know what the, the plan is here in terms of Russian officials and what they're hoping to get out of this situation. It seems fairly clear that there's some shady stuff going on. Um, also, not to get too dark, but I, I did see a lot of people tweeting things to the effect of, Russia's giving someone nine years in prison for a small amount of drugs. What are they, America three years ago? Like, I mean, this sort of thing has happened here for many, many years. I mean, there's, there's people, largely minorities in this country, still serving 20, 30-year sentences for having like a little bit of weed on them 20 years ago. So I, I don't know. It, it all just is very upsetting. And 
Obviously, the concern is for Brittany Griner's mental and physical well-being. Uh, you would think even given what she's endured thus far, it's going to be very hard for her to recover from this. But um, yeah, it's just a really scary situation. Scary indeed. So we'll continue to update it as we hear more, but hopefully something can be done here. Now on another WNBA related issue that is upsetting, but surely not the magnitude of the Brittany Griner situation, is that the Los Angeles Sparks recently, a bunch of players had to sleep overnight in an airport because of the WNBA rule that teams can't charter flights. Now, we talked about this earlier, but there was a new rule added to the CBA for the WNBA, the collective bargaining agreement, that teams are not allowed to charter private flights because it would create a competitive advantage and someone might want to play for one team versus another team. And if you have a more rich owner like Joe Sy, who owns both the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty, it's easier for him to swallow the cost of private flights for a full season, whereas another owner might not be able to do so. And my initial thought is boo-hoo, who cares? Like, get better. If you're going to own the team, pay for the team. I have no sympathy for billionaires. But the LA Times made a really good article about it, which we'll link to. But Naneka Ogumuke, who is on the Los Angeles Sparks and is a big advocate, I don't know if she's part of the players' union. I think that she is. But she was one of the players that was struck by this situation. And she has been advocating for some sort of change to the rules to allow teams to charter flights. Currently, the plan for this season is that they're going to do private flights for the two teams in the finals. But Agumake is saying that it should be at least for the whole playoffs. And it would be nice to have something during the 2023 season. Maybe there could be an allotment of charter flights where if there's a particular road trip that a team goes on, they can do charter flights for that. Because sometimes, especially for teams that have very popular basketball arenas that they use, during the summer, some places will book it for a very long period of time. So the Crypto.com Arena, where the Lakers and the Sparks play, the Sparks, I think, had to play their first eight out of 11 games on the road. The Connecticut Sun always have a big road trip to start the year because of, wasn't it some sort of like gambling thing or something, right? Where they have to be gone for a long period of time? Uh, I assume, yeah. Right. So there's definitely times in the season where teams have really tough stretches. So maybe it could be something like that where players are able to charter flights with their team just for a bad stretch and you could negotiate that ahead of time. The other thing is the WNBA added three more games to the season this year and it's a compressed season because the FIBA International Women's World Cup of Basketball begins in September. So they're trying to have the regular season and the playoffs and everything finish before that so that these players can play internationally. But the plan for the 2023 season is to have a 40 game season. So it'll be compressed even without anything like the Olympics or the World Cup to compress a season four. So things are only going to get worse. And I think that having nothing in place where people can charter flights, where you can have a situation like this, where they're on a commercial flight, it got delayed. We've all seen how bad flight delays are now with COVID and everything and shortages and all that that's been going on. You shouldn't have to sleep overnight in an airport if you're a professional athlete. So hopefully they can work something out. Right. I mean, at the very, very, very least, you would think there could be some sort of stipulation that says, in the event that there are no commercial flights available, <laughs> you are allowed to charter a flight to get where you need to go. Because uh, if nothing else, don't they just want people to be able to play the games that are scheduled? The other question I have, and I'm sure you know this more than I do, as it's currently constituted, 
Does this mean that all WNBA teams are flying commercial and not even necessarily first class? Is that is that what's happening? They are all flying commercial. The thing that was added in the most recent CBA, which I think was in 2020 or 2021, is that they will not just be flying commercial, but they're all flying at least economy plus or Ooh. whatever airline equivalent gets you the extra legroom, which I mean, that is nice, but yeah, some of these women are very, very tall. I just, I'm sorry, but when you go to an airport, you always see sports teams there, but usually it's like the, you know, insert random college name here, lacrosse team. It is absolutely ludicrous to me that the WNBA players are traveling in the same circumstances. Like, I just, I don't understand that. Right. And it's especially hard for some of the West Coast teams because most of the WNBA teams that are currently in the league are in either the East Coast or the Midwest, which despite its name is really in the mid east so <laughs> there's a lot of teams far away from the west coast teams i will have to protest against one of the players in the sparks who said that they have one of the toughest travel schedules in the league because my beloved seattle storm are so far right. away from every team <laughs> like they they have maybe they have a better situation with their arena where they don't have giant extended road trips because of whatever scheduling issues but yeah, it's not that long of a season. You would think you could at least do something. And that's what Neka Ogumuke was arguing for. She said, I think the quote was something like, can we use common sense going forward in 2023? And agreed. If if you have a situation where stuff is bad like this, you should be able to charter a flight. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's both funny and pathetic that they're like, can we please charter flights? And the WNBA is like, we hear what you're saying, but... How would you all feel about an extra Biscoff? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that they interviewed, shout out to Tuck Nye Wynn, who wrote this article for the LA Times, because she did some good reporting. Kathy Engelbert, who is the WNBA commissioner, apparently in March told ESPN that chartering the flights for the entire league would cost $20 million. And to me, obviously, like, wait to put everything in perspective. That doesn't seem like a really big expense for an entire sports league. No. Right? Like these TV deals that they book are hundreds of millions of dollars. When she said $20 million, like, yes, that's a lot of money, but that doesn't feel like a lot of sports league in America money. Totally. Just like add a couple sponsorships to stuff. I don't care. Make the basketball presented by Mountain Dew. I don't know. Like <laughs> You can do some extra stuff. Now, on a WNBA happier note to close out Full Court Press, because there is still Kevin Durant drama going on, but until he ends up on a team, we're not going to every two episodes say Kevin Durant's being a grumpy boy. Basic summary, Kevin Durant's being a grumpy boy. On a final good note, Sue Bird did play her final home game, at least regular season home game, at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. She gave a nice heartfelt speech at the end and mentioned that she'll be doing a more formal farewell speech later down the road. I'm assuming they will do some sort of like press conference type thing. I would also assume she is waiting because if they win the title, which I would personally love, her giving her farewell speech at the title parade would be very Ooh. cool. But I would also assume that if she does not win the title with my beloved Seattle Storm, she will probably do some sort of separate event at the arena to say goodbye to everyone. So she gave a short four minute speech. We'll put the link to it. It was kind of all over the place. She said that she wasn't going to thank people and then thanked one person and then the avalanche started and she had to thank a bunch of people. <laughs> and my favorite part of it, though, is she talked about early in the season, there was someone who was looking out for her at an early age. 
And she mentioned that Sue and I think either some players or some friends were going to the Wild Rose, which is a bar in Seattle. And to put it in perspective, I will tell you my story with the Wild Rose, which is me and my friends used to go out dancing and stuff in Seattle all the time. We would meet up at one of our places. We would just drink in our apartments from like 10 to 1130. And then at 1130, we would go to a dance bar and order zero drinks and then dance until the bar closed. Our favorite place to dance was this place called Therapy, which was very aptly named. But unfortunately, they shut down Therapy, which made us very sad. So we had to try to find a new dancing place. And we were just trying out different spots. And we went to this place called Wild Rose. And it was great. Everyone was super nice, big dance floor, playing good music. So we went there. It was great. And then we went there a second time the next weekend. It was fantastic. And then we were telling some of our friends like, oh, yeah, we went to the Wild Rose. It was really fun. You know, everybody was really nice. And then someone kind of looked at us funny and we were like, what's up? And they said, oh, I just I just didn't think that you guys, a bunch of straight people would be going to a lesbian bar. And we were like, oh, that's why everyone there was a woman and also incredibly <laughs> nice to us because <laughs> it's just a bunch of nice people together. So we kept going there. It's a lovely establishment. Everyone there is so nice. The people that work there, the people that go there, lovely, lovely place. So Sue Bird said that early in her career, she was going to Wild Rose and someone tried to warn her because I guess she didn't know that Sue was into ladies and it was early enough in her career maybe she wasn't public about it but sue just made a really funny joke of someone saying like oh, i don't know if this is a place you want to be and sue saying oh i know where i am <laughs> so pretty great i appreciated that shout out it felt like the most sue bird and the most seattle thing she could have said love that so i'm excited to see what other farewell type things happen but it's been very cool and it's been cool to see sue get coverage it's been cool to see sylvia fowles get coverage even the other day i was just at the gym and on espn on nba today they had a whole segment devoted to what did sue and what did sylvia do for the league and it was just a bunch of different people talking about the impact of these two players and it's been great to see that coverage for the WNBA and beyond so shout out to all of that yeah hell yeah so with that we can now get into your That Actually Happened, a very special second half of the episode here where we will both be talking about Bill Russell, who unfortunately recently passed at the age of 88, but we want to honor his legacy both on the court and off the court. An incredible man, an incredible player. We're excited to share some cool history about Bill Russell. Absolutely. So as Mike alluded to, uh, Mike is actually going to be covering some of Bill Russell's most notable basketball related achievements. But I will be discussing his impact off the court because as you will learn today, if you don't already know, to talk about Bill Russell without talking about his activism would be selling him very short. Despite his unbelievable basketball achievements, I would make the argument that the man he was outside of basketball and the work he did as a result of his platform are what make him the true legend that he is. So to give you some context, uh, born in 1934 in rural Louisiana, Russell and his family experienced racism constantly in the deeply segregated South. According to his Wikipedia page, quote, Russell's father was once refused service at a gas station until the staff had taken care of all the white customers first. When he attempted to leave and find a different station, the attendant stuck a shotgun in his face and threatened to kill him if he did not stay and wait his turn. In another incident, Russell's mother was walking outside in a fancy dress when a white policeman accosted her. He told her to go home and remove the dress, which he described as white woman's clothing. So this is some uh, context for the kind of environment the Russells were growing up in in Louisiana at that time. Gosh, awful. Absolutely awful. Stuff. At eight years old, Russell's family moved to Oakland, California, where the family struggled financially. Russell would go on to live in a number of housing projects during this time. And while Russell found a love for basketball that led him to opportunities he never could have imagined for himself as a child, 
his race and the way people viewed him as a result of his race was ever present. As a college player at the University of San Francisco, Russell and his fellow black teammates were frequently heckled and sometimes refused service, including an incident in which they were turned away from the hotel the team was supposed to stay at in Oklahoma City. In an act of solidarity, the entire team opted to stick together and rather than stay at the hotel, camp out in a closed college dorm. Russell would later say of these experiences, quote, I never permitted myself to be a victim. This would be a continued theme in his life. Of his college career, during which he averaged absolutely ludicrous numbers, he was not chosen as the player of the year in Northern California. Russell later said of this, quote, At that time, it was never acceptable that a black player was the best. That did not happen. My junior year in college, I had what I thought was one of the best college seasons ever. We won 28 out of 29 games. We won the national championship. I was the MVP at the Final Four. I was first-team All-American. I averaged over 20 points and over 20 rebounds, and I was the only guy in college blocking shots. So after the season was over, they had a Northern California banquet, and they picked another center as Player of the Year in Northern California. Well, that let me know that if I were to accept these as the final judges of my career, I would die a bitter old man, end quote. Oh my God, that's ridiculous on a basketball perspective, but also shout out to Bill Russell for having a good approach to it. And I don't think it's even just the basketball people of Northern California. There's a really fun quote that I had found from Tommy Heisen. He was the Celtics NBA color commentator guy for their TV games. I think he recently passed away. But he said about Boston and Bill Russell, quote, look, all I know is the guy won two NCAA championships, 50 some college games in a row, the 1956 Olympics. Then he came to Boston and won 11 championships in 13 years. And they named a fucking tunnel after Ted Williams. Yeah. That I, I could not have said it any better than Tommy Heisen. Mm-hmm. So after his college career ended, Russell was drafted by the Boston Celtics in 1956 after catching the eye of legendary Celtics coach Red Auerbach, who felt Russell's toughness and extraordinary rebounding abilities might be the missing piece for the Celtics. And boy, was he right. Between 1958 and 1966, the Celtics would win eight consecutive NBA championships led by Russell every step of the way. But it was Russell's off-the-court contributions during these years that were even more impactful. The 1960s were a decade of enormous civil unrest, largely centered around the increasing momentum of the civil rights movement. Russell was there every step of the way once again. In 1961, the Boston Celtics were in Kentucky for a preseason game when Sam Jones and Tom Sanders, two of Russell's black teammates, were refused service when they tried to grab a bite to eat from the hotel's cafe. The teammates, embarrassed and frustrated, explained what had happened in the cafe to Russell and Casey Jones, another black teammate. The four men informed their coach about what had happened, and he reached out to hotel management about the incident. The players were eventually given permission to eat at the hotel, but the damage was already done. They wanted nothing to do with the establishment, understandably so, and chose to fly home without playing in the exhibition game. It's hard to overstate the guts that took, because according to the Basketball Network, this was the first boycotting of a game over a civil rights protest. The first time that ever happened. Whoa. Yeah. And Russell told reporters the following day, quote, We've got to show our disapproval of this kind of treatment or else the status quo will prevail. We have the same rights and privileges as anyone else and deserve to be treated accordingly. I hope we never have to go through this abuse again, but if it happens, we won't hesitate to take the same action again, end quote. And Russell was true to his word. This wasn't lip service. In a newspaper article about the incident, the title read, quote, Russell would give up basketball for rights, end quote. And to quote specifically what is available of the article online, quote, defensive genius Bill Russell says he would quit the Boston Celtics without reservation to assist the civil rights movement if it would ease racial tension and aid Negroes, end quote. Russell actually tweeted a photo of this very article in August of 2020 
after NBA players boycotted games following the shooting of the unarmed Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Nearly 60 years later, and Russell was still as engaged as ever, tweeting, quote, In 1961, I walked out of an exhibition game much like the NBA players did yesterday. I am one of the few people that knows what it felt like to make such an important decision. I am so proud of these young guys. It reminded me of this. And then he shares that article. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. Russell's activism would only strengthen throughout the 1960s. He was seated nearby Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at the famous March on Washington in 1963, when Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. That same year, after civil rights leader Medgar Evers was assassinated, Russell traveled to Mississippi with Evers' brother to open an integrated basketball camp. In 1967, when boxing legend Muhammad Ali made the deeply controversial decision to refuse to enlist in the Vietnam War, Russell joined other prominent black figures in Cleveland to meet with Ali. And, while it may not have been the popular stance at the time, Russell had the courage to support Ali's decision to go to prison instead of denouncing his beliefs surrounding civil rights and religious freedom. And while the media initially denounced Ali's decision, suggesting that his actions might lead to widespread civil disobedience, Ali's stance gained sympathy as opposition to the Vietnam War grew. But Russell was not only involved with issues on a national level. He also took the time to stay involved in local issues in Boston. Most notably, in 1966, Russell spoke in support of students who were protesting segregation at their school in Boston. Russell would go on to deliver the graduation speech at the school during which he said, quote, I do not say we have to love each other, but we must try to understand and respect each other, end quote. And there's a really incredible photo of this speech that I'll make sure to share the link to as well in the article page. Awesome. It's really nice to hear the perspective of big, famous athletes who were at the top of their game, both Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali, who protested famously for very important reasons. Because what's been frustrating recently is seeing people make these comparisons to some of the players in the current leagues that aren't getting the COVID shot. And it's absolutely wild to compare not getting a COVID vaccine, which is a selfish decision that doesn't help keep people around you safe comparing that to muhammad ali not wanting to fight in the vietnam war people are oh man like it is not the same it is apples and refrigerators what are we doing yeah well said i i completely agree with that and i think it's a it's a ridiculous comparison to make but russell's activism didn't end after his playing career despite spending much of the 80s and 90s staying out of the public eye Russell never failed to stay engaged in current politics, particularly as they pertain to racial discrimination. In 2020, as I alluded to before, when NBA players in the bubble took a stand against racial injustice, Russell was right there encouraging them every step of the way. In 2017, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem, Russell tweeted a photo of himself kneeling with the caption, quote, proud to take a knee and to stand tall against social injustice, end quote. And in that very photo, Bill Russell is wearing the Presidential Medal of Freedom he had been honored with by President Barack Obama in 2011. Mm. And though I did at one time do a pretty respectable Obama impersonation, out of respect for Bill Russell, I will let you listen to the words President Obama had on that day 11 years ago. Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. He marched with King. He stood by Ali. When a restaurant refused to serve the black Celtics, he refused to play in the scheduled game. He endured insults and vandalism, but he kept on focusing on making the teammates who he loved better players and made possible the success of so many who would follow. And I hope that one day in the streets of Boston, children will look up at a statue built not only to Bill Russell, the player, but Bill Russell, the man. 
In 2013, President Obama's wish came true. You can visit that statue of Bill Russell at City Hall Plaza in Boston. And if and when you make that visit, I urge you to not only remember Bill Russell the basketball player, but to remember Bill Russell the human being. His loss is profound, but his legacy is here to stay. And while ending this segment on a quote from Winston Churchill is probably not what anybody expected, <laughs> to quote, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. And that actually happened. That actually happened. That's really cool. I am happy to learn more about Bill Russell's activism. Not only was he just a player activist, he was the greatest player of his generation and uh -huh. also an activist. And that just makes it that much more impactful. One, two, three, three, two, one, three on three. So for my three on three, I'm here to do the basketball side of things for Bill Russell. But thankfully, Bill Russell is great on the court, but he's also great off the court in a basketball-related sense. So the three-on-three three that I've done are the three coolest things he did on a basketball court and the three funniest things he said to basketball players. Oh, I like this twist. Yeah, you know, there was enough stuff that he did and what was very cool with Reddit slash r slash NBA when Bill Russell passed, basically that whole week, it was just cool clips of him playing basketball, cool clips of him at different events or just being funny because he's a very funny dude. So it was just cool to see lots of love being poured in. It was kind of like Bill Russell's greatest hits for a whole week. And I thought that was a really cool way to honor him. Yes, totally. So let's start with the on-court stuff. The number three coolest thing that I learned about Bill Russell playing on the court is that over the course of his career, I believe this accounts for college and the NBA, Bill Russell played in 21 winner-take-all games. So any sort of elimination-style game, I think that would include the NCAA tournament or in the playoffs if it was a best-of-five series. 10 out of those 21 games were game sevens, and Bill Russell's record in those 21 games was... 21-0. He never lost an elimination game in his entire NBA and NCAA career. That's uh, that's an absolute joke. <laughs> that I, I don't even know how to react to that. Just a ridiculous, ridiculous basketball person. Wow. Speaking of ridiculous basketball performances, my number two moment here came in game seven, which, spoiler alert, is gone because we know what's going to happen. They ended up winning game seven, the Boston Celtics, in the 1962 NBA Finals. Bill Russell scored 30 points and he had 40 rebounds. One man, 40 rebounds. For, for context, is that is that good? <laughs> that is quite good. And I will be able to give some context as I recap this a little bit more. So there are two pretty good articles about this particular game that we'll put links to. And Bill Russell, first off, I just want to say, if you look at the box score, he played 53 minutes. Now, if that sounds like a lot of minutes, that's because 53 minutes is the most minutes you can play in a basketball game that has won overtime. 48 minutes of regulation, five minutes of overtime. He did not sit. He played the entire game. Who, who I mean, was, was Tom Thibodeau coaching him? What was going on there? <laughs> I think it was just back in the day where you had a couple good players and then everyone else on your team to quote JJ Redick was a plumber or a fireman. So he played every minute. It was against the Lakers. Jerry West also played every minute. And... Another thing that I learned about this game is that Bill Russell played all but five minutes during the entire 1962 Boston Celtics playoff run. And the five minutes that he was sitting was over the course of two games where the Celtics won by a combined 42 points. So he sat for five total minutes across an entire playoff run. And the only time he sat was when the Celtics were blowing out the other team. Unbelievable. 
Now, the whole rest of that series was ridiculous for Bill Russell. During the first six games of the 1962 finals, he was averaging 21.7 points and 24.8 rebounds, which is a lot. Now, if you look at the 40 rebounds in particular, the 40 rebounds in an NBA Finals game is a record. He also had 19 rebounds just in the fourth quarter, which is the most of any quarter in any NBA game, regular season or playoffs. The whole Celtics had 82 rebounds in the game, meaning that Bill Russell accounted for just shy of 50% of his team's total rebounds, 48.8%. And if you compare that to the Lakers, the best rebounder on the Lakers was Elgin Baylor, who had 22 rebounds and the Lakers had 65 as a team. So he had 34%. So even a ridiculous performance, if you get over 20 rebounds in a game, that's truly absurd. Bill Russell, just astronomical amounts of rebounds. Yeah, 40 rebounds in a game. I would love to know when that has happened most recently, if at all in the past few decades, even in a regular season game. But I mean, given the stakes, that that is just a, a silly amount of rebounds. Let me very quickly look it up. The, yeah, you know the last time someone got 40 rebounds that in a very game? game? It was in 1969 by wow. Wilt Chamberlain. That, che- that checks out. That checks out. <laughs> So what's funny is there's a Wikipedia page called List of National Basketball Association Single Game Rebounding Leaders, and there is two sections, one of which is called pre-1973 and one of which is called post-1973. And if you look at the pre-1973, there are two names, and it is Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, and that is it. <laughs> yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. And there's like a lot. There's a lot. Oh, sorry. There's a couple Jerry Lucases in there. Shout out to Jerry Lucas, who was on the New York Knicks, but I think he only shows up once. Yeah, it's all. He only shows up once. There's two other people that show up once. And then if you look at the post 1973, nobody gets to 40. So yeah, last time that happened, Will Chamberlain in 1969. Now, granted, back in the olden days of the NBA, players were worse. So rebounds were more abundant. But regardless, 40 rebounds is just ridiculous. Even if you don't look at the total number, getting 50% of your team's rebounds is ridiculous. No doubt about it. And on top of that, he scored 30 points. It's not like a Dennis Rodman game. We love Dennis Rodman. He's a legend and an icon. But Dennis Rodman would have four points and 20 rebounds, and that would be very cool. Bill Russell also had 30 points. Amazing. Now, the number one coolest thing Bill Russell did on the court is something that I'll do my best to describe via audio medium, but I cannot recommend enough you go to the Horse Hoops episode page for this episode to check out the video because... There is a game in which Bill Russell jumps over a guy for a layup from the free throw line. Have you ever seen this play, Adam? I have seen this. I feel like it was floating around in the past few weeks after his passing, and it's unbelievable. It's just absurd. He gets a rebound on the other end, dribbles it all the way very fast. You have to remember, Bill Russell is a very, very tall dude, and he is moving as quickly as a guard, and he is just dribbling fast. It's sometimes hard to remember that he's six foot ten until he jumps from the free throw line, which is very far away from the hoop, and he jumps over a dude and then lays it in. At that point, you can realize how long it is, but it's just a confusing video to watch because it's so strange to see someone so big move so agilely, and it is very reminiscent of some things that Giannis Antetokounmpo will do, mm. but he just straight up jumps over a guy. He jumps over a human. Amazing. Truly absurd. So now we'll move on to more of the off-court things, but they are all still basketball related because thankfully Bill Russell is a great trash talker and he, I can only assume, was great at talking trash 
during his playing days, but he's really come into his own as an NBA legend. Everyone loves Bill Russell. Everyone respects Bill Russell. And he's very funny and he utilizes that to his strengths. Now, the number three cool, funny, off-court thing that he said, apparently he was golfing with your favorite player, Michael Jordan. And this was right after Michael Jordan won one of the championships with the Bulls. MJ to Bill Russell said that the Bulls were going to come for Bill's record. And Bill says, which one? Which is a power response. (laughs) Pretty good. And we'll put a link to this interview clip. But basically, Bill Russell's context was, you know, you have my 11 championships, but also the Celtics won eight championships in a row. And Bill told Michael Jordan that in his lifetime, he doesn't think that they would be able to achieve either of them. Now, we do have to give context because I do love Bill Russell, but I hate Boston sports. And we have to say that for most of these championships, when Bill Russell's Celtics won, there were only eight teams in the league or only six teams would make it to the playoffs and the number one seed would get a bye for the first round. So like a little easier. Yes, not quite the gauntlet that it is now, but nevertheless, very impressive. No, when you have a one out of eight chance or one out of 12 chance to win the title, even before the season starts, it's pretty good odds as compared to the one out of 30, which will soon become a one out of 32 once they expand the league in a couple of years. It is true. So moving on to the number two fun trash talking Bill Russell moment at the 2017 NBA Awards, which is this award ceremony that I hope they stop doing. But it's this award ceremony where they give out the season awards, it's trying to like make a basketball ESPYs kind of thing. But they were giving out the MVP and the six man of the year and all that. I think they stopped it in the bubble and I don't think they've gone back to doing it. I hope they don't because some of the coolest things that happen are when the regular season awards are announced while the playoffs are going on. And then you can give a player the MVP trophy while their team is still in the playoffs. And then they get to show it to a standing ovation of a packed crowd. That's very fun. I hope they bring that back. It just would kind of deflate the awards too, because sometimes regular season awards don't age super well. So you can win the MVP and then your team gets knocked out in the first round. And then you think, ah, was this guy really the MVP? So to have it wait until after the season ends always feels weird. So I hope this is just kind of a relic of the late 2010s and it doesn't return. Agreed. Regardless, at the 2017 NBA Awards, they awarded Bill Russell a Lifetime Achievement Award. And to present the award, they brought out some Hall of Fame centers. So Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, David Robinson, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar all took the stage. And there was a little speech kind of hyping up Bill Russell. And he comes on the stage, he accepts his award, and then he points to each of these five gentlemen one by one. And then after pointing at them, he says... I'd kick your ass, which is <laughs> great. Oh, I love it. It's so good. The whole place erupts in laughter. Everyone on stage erupts in laughter. And it's just so funny that the NBA thought to present this award to this iconic center, we'll bring out these other iconic centers. And what does he do? He says he would destroy them all in basketball. It's a lovely, <laughs> lovely exchange. Now, the number one funniest thing that Bill Russell did trash talking to NBA players happened at the 2018 NBA Awards. And I do not know the full context of this. Maybe it was Charles Barkley getting some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award, but I've only seen the clip of it where Charles Barkley is on stage. He says, Mr. Bill Russell, thank you. And it's a genuine moment. He's not making any sort of joke, I believe. I think he's just genuinely thanking Bill Russell. And they do the classic thing at any sort of awards show where the camera cuts to Bill Russell in the crowd. 
and he's smiling and everyone else around him is smiling and clapping. And what does Bill Russell do? He gives Charles Barkley the finger. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this before and it never gets old. It's so funny. He does it with this ear to ear smile. It's such a great screenshot. And speaking of great screenshot, Bill Russell, who I'm glad that you pointed out his strong Twitter game earlier in this episode, he continued to have a strong Twitter game and he had a strong tweet in response to this where he tweeted a screenshot of him full smile flipping off Charles Barkley. And then he said, quote, sorry, everyone, I forgot it was live TV and I can't help myself whenever I see Charles. It just is pure instinct. Which is so funny. Somehow, he's already taken the funniest thing you could imagine and then made it twice as funny because his apology is just another Charles Barkley burn. It's so good. It's so good. That's so funny. I had seen the clip, but I didn't know that he added that to it and it makes it even better now. It's so, so wonderful. So shout out to Bill Russell, an icon on the court, an icon in activism and an icon being an old guy that just trash talked the absolute hell out of any other player near his stratosphere of basketball. So, so fantastic. Amazing. And I look forward to uh, hearing about your your expanded five on five on the Patreon. Yeah, there's a sentimental one that I'm going to add in there. Nice. So it's not all just goofs and jokes here. We can get heartfelt. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Alison Wakeman. The social media is by both of the Horse Boys. And the website is by Kelly Beckman Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashell, Doko Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long-Suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Mikhail Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borgeli, Weird Questions, Mitch Chrysler, Del Curry's Son for Three. Bang, Bang because it could be two people. That's true. Nicole Arsenault and Lobster Bisquay. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops talk trash to Bill Russell and he ethered them into another dimension. Yeah, you can't be talking trash to Bill Russell. If you've learned nothing else, <laughs> I hope you learned that today. Go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the fun stuff we talked about today, including some absolutely incredible Bill Russell and Sue Bird content. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com horsehoops. You can get access to bonus audio, bonus video, bonus writing, merchandise, stickers, jerseys. You also can get guaranteed that if you have a question, we'll answer it in an episode during the NBQ&A section. Lots of good stuff over at the Patreon. You can also go to horsehoops.com merch. We've got t-shirts. We've got ringtones. We've got pass live shows that we've done lots of fun stuff there so we're going to close out this episode as we always do by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three i feel like we should honor bill russell in some way shape or form i absolutely think we should and remind me what exactly he said to alonzo morning and uh, Shaq and all those characters <laughs> he said i'd kick your ass so i think we say i'd kick your ass on three to honor bill russell i love it let's do it all right one two three i'd, I'd kick, kick your, your ass, ass. <laughs> You know what? Maybe he would. He was really good. I I don't even know if he was talking about back then. I think he meant in that exact moment. (laughs) Let's go in the court right now. (laughs) Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.